Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You see, this is our problem in our culture today. We've come to a point now where loving yourself is so much a priority in the culture. It just means that you love yourself and nobody can tell you what that looks like or doesn't look like. And you just do whatever it is that's going to make you happy and make you feel good. Because at the end of the day, it's all about you. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38, in a message titled, Losing and Finding Your Life. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So today we're going to focus in on these words of Jesus where he speaks of of losing your life in order to save it or to keep it or to find it. And so let me just remind you, even as we read over the verses again today, the things that we saw there. So we saw, first of all, Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Messiah. So remember, I mentioned how up until this point, the followers, the closest followers, the apostles, those, those 12 men, up until this point, they still are not totally sure who Jesus is. And so there comes this moment where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they gave the various answers. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And of course, we read it there today. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that Jesus said then to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed it to you. So Jesus really, he affirms Peter's confession and then declares the true nature of the Messiah's mission. So Jesus is like, yes, you're right. I am the Christ. But then he goes on to clarify to them what that is really ultimately all about. It's about suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. And then we saw, of course, Peter pulls Jesus aside. He rebukes him. And then Jesus, he sets Peter straight. And then Jesus lays out the terms for discipleship. So in a sense, it's, it's like this. Jesus is like, yes, you're right. I am the Messiah, but it's not what you think, at least at this point. It's not what you think. Let me tell you what it actually is going to be. It's going to be suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. So if you're going to be in on the program, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus, the first thing he does is he addresses what was the messianic expectation with what the messianic reality is. So as we have pointed out before, but just to remind you, the messianic expectation was that Rome would be overthrown. Remember Rome, they were oppressing 
Israel at the time. Israel was under the Roman authority. So it would be overthrowing the Roman oppressors, restoring the Davidic kingdom, and ushering in an era of peace and prosperity. So this was a messianic expectation. And in some senses, you could understand it because the scriptures certainly talked about this as being the work of the Messiah, that he's going to bring in this everlasting reign of righteousness, and he's going to sit up on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over the house of Jacob and all of these things. But there was another aspect to the Messiah's mission that they had not recognized. And so Jesus gives them the the messianic reality. The Messiah is going to be rejected and going to be killed. So the kingdom is different than what they had envisioned, and so are the ways of the kingdom. Now you see, in their minds, the way of the kingdom was Jesus is going to set up the kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him, and it's going to be just great and peace and prosperity, that's going to flow, and the Gentiles are going to be subdued, and we're going to be part of the, the ruling class at that point. That was, that was their thinking. There were even times, and we'll see them even as we still go further, because they didn't totally get what Jesus was saying here. We're going to find them arguing amongst each other about who's going to be the greatest when Jesus sets up the kingdom. And at one point, even the mother of James and John gets involved and she pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, I want my two boys, I want one to sit at your right hand and the other to sit at your left. So this is how they were thinking. But you see, the kingdom is not going to be like that. And and therefore, the ways of the kingdom are going to be different. So in this phase, the kingdom involves denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following, yes, the king, but not the king that you were expecting. And following Jesus is going to be not following him to Jerusalem to then set up your throne alongside of his, but you're going to follow him basically into exile. That's what it's all about. And so Jesus is correcting their misunderstanding of the kingdom. And and he's showing them that in this phase of the kingdom. Now I'm saying this phase of the kingdom intentionally because the kingdom has two phases. And guess what? We're still in the first phase. We are in the first phase, which is the time of Messiah's exile. Jesus is exiled. He's exiled from Israel. He's exiled from the world. Today, you know, you can go out in public and you can preach any religion you want. And you might get a few people rolling their eyes. You might get a great crowd wanting to join up. But you go preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And no, we don't want to hear that message. The king is still in exile. And so that's this phase of the kingdom. But Jesus is calling us in this phase to join him. Because phase two is coming. And that's when he returns to actually set up that kingdom that they expected a long, long time ago. So that is yet ahead in the future. Now, what Jesus does here is he basically 
he gives us the terms of citizenship in the kingdom. So yes, there is a kingdom. It's just not what you think. And yes, you're invited in to be part of the kingdom, but this is what it looks like. It looks like, as we read, it looks like denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. And those are the terms still today. So think about that. The picture that Jesus gives here is so counterculture to the values and priorities of the Western world, and, and even more specifically, so countercultural to the American dream. I mean, think about this. The, here in the, in the U.S., we have this ideal, we have this dream. And I'm not saying it's a bad dream, but it's just it's, it's a dream of peace and prosperity. We want to live in peace. We want to live in prosperity. We want to live in comfort. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do and have things go as easily and smoothly as possible. And it's created a culture that has now become a culture that's just really all about the individual. It's all about you and what you want, and what you like, and it it all comes down to that. Now, that's the culture at large, but guess what? That has bled over into the church. So even in the church today, when you say things like, if you're going to follow Christ, you got to deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow him, people are, hey, wait, no, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I'm looking to do. I want to be part of the the kingdom, you know, like I'm a child of the king and I want to be successful and I want to be wealthy and I want to be prosperous. And this message is actually preached in pulpits today. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is, I'm going to quote from an article that I read earlier this week. It's funny how for me, I have these moments, you know, where you I just stumble across something, and I, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, this is, thank you, Lord, this is preparation for this week's message. You, you just dropped this thing on me. So I was reading an article at the Gospel Coalition website, and it's an article that was written by a woman who's giving um, like a critique of a recent book. And let me just read to you what uh, this particular gal says about the book that she is critiquing here. So, in her latest book, Girl, Stop Apologizing, a shame-free plan for embracing and achieving your goals, top-selling Christian author Rachel Hollis wants you to believe in yourself to take great pride in your hard work and accomplishments, and to do so without shame and with gusto. She wants you to go hard and unapologetically after your dreams. Hollis's message is, and here's a direct quote, all that really matters is how bad you want those dreams and what you're willing to do to make them happen. The author goes on and says, for Hollis, salvation is found in ourselves. The real you is destined for something more, your version of more. This is who you were made to be, 
And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's time to become who you were made to be. To get there, Hollis says, first learn to love yourself well and give yourself credit. Then reach for more. She encourages readers to pick 10 goals, write them out every day, and meditate on the future vision we have of ourselves in order to get our subconscious involved. An example of one of her goals is, I only fly first class. That's not a bad goal. I like that one. How do, how do you, I, I want to figure out how she is going to get that one done. But, so, so Hollis asked, is your schedule populated by things that will make your life better or is it dictated by everybody else's wants and needs? She reasons. Being occasionally inconvenienced is a part of life. And if you're willing to serve others, then you better be willing to demand that they do it for you as well. On staying home with her kids, Hollis says, it's not my spiritual gifting. It's not in my wheelhouse. You know what is in my wheelhouse? Building a successful business, managing a team, writing books. She's authored seven books. Giving keynote speeches. Here's my favorite. Crushing it on social media, strategizing, branding, PR, and planning live events where a thousand women fly in from all over the world to be inspired. Now, let me just remind you that this is a number one best-selling Christian author published by a Christian publisher. Now, apparently she missed the bit about denying yourself because there's nothing in anything she says that really coincides with anything Jesus is saying. Now, listen, she probably has some good ideas for people. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't, you know, work hard to make things better for ourselves. But, but just her whole mentality revolves obviously around self. And her message is a message that is self-centered. But Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You see, this is, this is our problem in our culture today. We, we are so self-obsessed. You know, the scriptures, when they talk about the environment of these final days, many times there's a reference to, to men, women, people loving themselves and loving pleasure. And, and that's exactly where we've come. We've come to a point now where loving yourself is so much a priority in the culture. It, it just means that, you know, you love yourself and nobody can tell you what that looks like or doesn't look like. And you just do whatever it is that is going to make you happy and make you feel good. Because at the end of the day, it's all about you. So this isn't new in one sense, because this has been the human condition from the beginning, but it's it seems like it's new in the sense that this is dominating now the cultural mindset. This is the cultural mindset that ultimately everything is revolving around you and your happiness. And so, as I said, she missed the bit, obviously, about denying yourself. The way of the kingdom, 
so here's the contrast. The way of the kingdom is not about discovering more of your giftings and potentials so your dreams can be realized. It's about dying to your own ambitions and living for the glory of God. That's the biblical message. Now, granted, that's not popular. I mean, the other one sounds like so much more fun. But the truth is, it's not more fun. The truth is that, that this is all very thin. And, and it wears thin really quickly. And after a while, the pursuit of all of these things, it becomes obvious that these things can never do for the person what they're expecting them to do. They can never bring the fulfillment, the satisfaction that they, they promise. You know, the world and its goods promises much more than it's able to deliver. It never delivers what it promises. And, and we just need to know that that's a fact. That is a reality. When you think back historically, you think back to kingdoms or you think back to empires or you think even to dynasties or, or whatever, you know, where you have these people in power and you have wealth and you have all of this prosperity and, and these types of things. Well, for one, we only see part of that. For example, you take back to the, the time of the British Empire. Now, the British Empire was, it was said about the British Empire that the sun never set on the British Empire. And so it was a vast empire. And from a certain point of view, it looked absolutely amazing. Wow, this is amazing. Look at the British Empire. Look at all of these places that they've been and all of these nations that they brought under their reign and so forth. And, and it all looked so good until you got on the ground and met the people that they had sub subjugated. <laughs> and then you start to realize, oh, wait, it's, it's, it's really not that good. But that's how all of this stuff is. It all looks so good. But then you get under the surface, you get behind the scenes and you realize, wait, th this is not what it's made out to be. Hollywood's the great current example and has been for decades, but they've got the picture of this is the life and this is amazing and this is wonderful and this is what you want. But you don't have to look very hard to realize that this is just a facade. These people are messed up. Their lives are miserable. They're just a walking disaster. And that's why they're in and out of rehab. That's why they're in and out of marriages. That's why they're in and out of relationships and all of these different kinds of things. So even though Rachel Hollis, and, and let me say, she's just one of many voices saying these kinds of things. She's, she's certainly not the only one. Uh, there are many other voices in the church she, at least she's not a preacher. But, but there are preachers who would pretty much give a similar kind of a message. But the message that she's giving is what you might call a your best life now view of the world. Your best life now. That, that's actually a book written by a preacher. And, but that, that's really what she's presenting. Your best life now. You, you only got one life. You make the best of it. But listen, Jesus is saying your best life is ahead of you. When the kingdom is fully realized, that's when your best life will come. So save it for then. Save it for then because 
then it's really going to be great and it can never be taken away. Now is the time to take up the cross and to follow him. Now is the time to take up the cross and follow him. And here's the paradox in all of it. Look now, let's specifically look at verse 35. 35, 36, and 37. So, so here's the paradox. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's the paradox. Desiring to save your life. See, that's the message. Save your life. Do your thing. Follow your dreams. Fulfill your ambitions. Save your life. Jesus says, if you save your life, if you seek to save it, you will lose it. That, that's the reality. If you seek to save your life in the end, you will lose it. Now, you know, we don't have, there's certain things we have no control over, right? You know, I talked to a friend last night and I had no idea that this had happened, but a, a mutual friend of ours died this week, not even 60 years old, and a fluke thing went in for a dental appointment and went under the anesthesia and never came out. And all of that to say, we have no control over certain things. And one of those things that we have no control over is how long we're going to live. And so Jesus, he goes on and he says, notice he says, for what will it profit if someone were to gain the whole world and lose their soul? See, that, that's a real question that people have to ask. What will it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? This morning at first service, there was a man that was here and he comes regularly and he's, I, I think, a very, um, you know, he's well-to-do and he's been successful in his career and so forth and he's following the Lord. But he was telling me that he used to be before he met Jesus, he was one of these guys who was, he was intellectual, so he sort of read everything, and he had all of his great arguments against the faith, and he would like to meet a Christian so he could debate with them and tell them why they were wrong, and he was pursuing his career, and he was doing all of that, and he said somehow he ended up here years ago, and um, whoever it was that was speaking, he said, when they read this verse, what would a prophet a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. He said, it just was like a bullet right between his eyes. And all of a sudden he just realized, wow, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? What if you, what if you could become the richest, most famous, most powerful person in the world, but then lose your soul? Well, of course, when you lose your soul, you lose all of that stuff. You know, we talk about the, the fact that you can't take it with you. That really is a fact. You don't take any of your possessions with you when you leave this world. You don't take any of your prestige. You don't take any of your power. You take nothing. So what would it profit a person to gain the whole world? And then Jesus asked this question. He says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Wow, what would you give in exchange for your soul? You know, this is like the deal with the devil.
now let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. We are hearing so much in the culture today about transgender identities and so forth. And so the book that I want to recommend is going to help you think through that. The book is called Embodied Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. The author is Preston Sprinkle. Preston has a PhD in New Testament theology, but he's really made this an area of deep, deep study and expertise, does an excellent job. This is something that we need to know how to navigate. So once again, the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, it will help you to know what the Bible says and how to navigate around the issues of transgenderism. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. You can order the book Embodied by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle to help you navigate the issues surrounding transgenderism. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.